This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Coming up at the top of the hour, Brian Boyle stops by for a tour around the NHL. Was going to have him on yesterday, but then things happened around the league. Most notably, the Steve Stavos press conference. So we, we move well to uh, today. It'll be fantastic. Aaron Ambrose stops by from PWHL Montreal, the top team uh, in the league. In the meantime, a team that's, uh, you know, writing some headlines these days on a nice little three-game winning streak out of the St. Louis Blues and Andy Strickland, who I love talking to from Bally Sports Midwest, also co-host of the Cam and Strick, the excellent Cam and Strick podcast. Uh, I should mention Andy Strickland joins me now. Strick, how are you today? Jeffy, hey, it's good to see you now. You know, every time I join you, we're doing this over the phone. Now we got video, we can see each other, so I like that I even know. better. <laughs> it took me until 2024 to realize it's important to do video in media these days. That's how how far behind I am. But let me okay, let me let me open yeah. up, Andy, by asking you about Jake Neighbors. And this yeah. is the most serious, hard-hitting question you are going to get about Jake Neighbors. Now, not only do I like Jake Neighbors because he's an excellent hockey player, but I also like Jake Neighbors because he uses the Canadian spelling of Neighbors despite the fact that he plays in the United States of America. Does the U in Neighbors as an American, Andy, offend you? Oh, no, it doesn't. It, it may offend my wife, though, Jeff, because every time I send her a text, I always use the you when I'm saying favor or flavor. That, hey, that's like the hockey that's in me, man. So I, I love the Canadian spelling. And you know what I even love more than the Canadian spelling is it's Jake Neighbors, man. Like this guy, he's a throwback. Yeah. He's a throwback, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, you look at the way he plays. And yep. if one of the biggest surprises in the NHL, and I, I, I know you'll appreciate this, but you look at the way Jake plays, and you know he plays net front on the power play now, which has allowed him to yep. get more and more opportunities. I mean, he's scoring a lot of goals. He can play with good players. He's a very mature player. Obviously, you cover the CHL, so you saw him you know, go to the Memorial Cup oh, a yeah. few years back playing with Edmonton. So you had an idea of what this guy can bring to the table. But you know, he scores goals in all different ways. He can score fast break goals one-time goals, uh, you know, breakaway goals, net front deflection, rebounds, the greasy goals. He can score away from the net, closer to the net. He's a he's a very smart, intelligent player who can play with good players. Better speed than I think people realize, and I think he's learned now here mm-hmm. as he progresses through his NHL career how to play through contact, how to stay on his feet. Um, and his skating is only getting better and better, and he's more healthy. You know, he was dealing with a shoulder injury before. But – this guy has four penalty minutes on the season, Jeff. It, it's an, it's a crazy story. Mm-hmm. And he's in the mix, man. This guy is not a perimeter guy. He's the first guy after the whistle that jumps in if somebody is outnumbered or, you know, an opposing player is taking advantage of one of his teammates. He's right in the mix. Um, he finishes checks. He hasn't had a fight this year, but we've seen him fight in the past. Four penalty minutes. And he just got those two double minors. Yeah. You know, are those two minors, uh, you know, over the course of the last three or four games. So he had gone like 40 games, something like that, with no penalty minutes, man. So I don't know, Lady Bing or not, I don't know if he's in that conversation, but this guy doesn't hurt you five on five, I'll tell you that. Like Ryan O'Reilly. Like I'm hearing you talk about low penalty minutes, but still engaged, uh, not scrapping. Like yeah. all, all that, got, that's, I mean, you're used to that with Ryan O'Reilly in St. Louis, Andy. Yeah, it's funny you say that because. And I agree, but he probably plays with a little more emotion than O'Reilly does. You know, O'Reilly's not a guy that is mm-hmm. going to get in the face of Tom Wilson. 
you know, and that's what Jake Nabors nope. did. You know, he's chir- chirping him for having a, <laughs> a, a, a full shield on. And that's probably not the best idea. I think Braden Shen even told Jake, hey, it's probably, let's, let's not poke yeah. the bear. Let's let him sleep a little bit. But Jake is fearless, and I'm not saying he's going to go out there and look to fight Tom Wilson, and he probably shouldn't, but he will fight. He'll drop the gloves, man. This guy is truly, for 21 years of age, and his story, you know, growing up in a household mm. where his older brothers were like, 14, 15 years older than him. So he was always around yep. older people, you know, when he was at his house. He, he's he's a mature kid, man. Like at 21, like you could go hang out with him and have a couple of beers with him at the bar and feel like you're hanging out with somebody your own age. It's going to be a good one for a long, long mm. time. I think he's got future ca- captain material written all over him as well. The, the, there's a, like, listen, the, you, I mean, you know this, you're right there. This is a, a really interesting era for the St. Louis Blues as they, they make this transition and the transition has taken a while but I don't think Doug Armstrong wants to, to force anything here doesn't want to make any type of transition from one era to the other era to the next era rather abrupt I mean this has been a sort of slow transition from that team that we saw we just mentioned Ryan O'Reilly from like that Ryan O'Reilly Vlad Tarasenko uh, Alex Petrangelo team to this next team that's going to be led by well you mentioned Jake Neighbors and you have to throw in Robert Thomas and you have to throw in Jordan Cairo and you also have to throw in Joel Hofer, who's having a really nice season here. Like when you look at the next, I want to get to, I want to get to what's happening right now, but quickly, let's get ahead of ourselves. When you look at the next era of St. Louis Blues, who should we be looking at on this roster right now? Um, well, you look at the, the players you just mentioned, because even though Kyra's numbers are down, man, he is a necessary luxury to have in my opinion because he can break a game wide open mm-hmm. he's made some good defensive plays actually you know recently even though he was on the master you know leaderboard last year you know with uh with his plus yeah. minus being among the bottom in the league so he's made some adjustments there and uh first year of a of a monster contract you could almost see this coming and i, I wouldn't get too carried away about jordan Cairo's lack of offensive numbers this year and we'll, we'll see what those look like. And if he can rebound next year, don't forget last year he had 37 goals. But his his speed is so noticeable, and he has such game-changing and game-breaking ability that, you know, uh, he's going to be a good player here, even though maybe he's having a down year right now. But Joel Hofer's got number one goaltending potential. I mean, just look at his resume and his oh, path yeah. to getting here, what he did in the World Juniors, what he did in the WHL. So um, I would agree with you, although Jordan Bennington's playing lights out right now, he's been absolutely incredible, and he looks like a top-10 goaltender in the league when he's on. I've always said that about Jordan Bennington, but he certainly is locked in right now. So, you know, those are the guys along with neighbors. Matt Kessel's a defenseman who a lot of people don't know a whole lot mm-hmm. about. He's been, I think he's played 10 games this season. He's yet to have a game where he's been on the minus side of things with his plus-minus. Very steady defender on the right side. Um so you got to like the way that he's playing from a defensive standpoint, makes a good first pass. Um, you know, he's strong. He defends, you know, pretty heavy in terms of his ability to use his size. He's a winner in the past. He won a national championship after Kale McCarr had left at UMass. He ended up winning an NCAA title there. Um, and as a fifth round pick, man, this guy led the nation in scoring among defensemen um as a freshman you know when he was a freshman at umass you know and we haven't even really seen the offensive side of his game since he's gotten to the nhl he may have led scoring for defensemen among freshmen in the the country but still he had some offense and he's not really in the position where he is asked to play that style 
But listen, Jeffy, mm-hmm. they just had seven players play in the World Juniors, and they all performed at a real high level. And all these guys are going to be here. You mentioned oh, yeah. moving on from Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Barbashev. You know, those brought like first round picks. You know, in Barbashev, they got the Zachary Dean kid who played for Canada a couple of years ago in the World Juniors, who's now playing in the minors, yep. still trying to find his way. You know, they've got Bull Duke, who won a Memorial Cup playing under Patrick Waugh last year, who's in the minors, still trying to find his way, former first-round pick. But Jimmy Snuggerud might play NHL games this season. Dalibor Dvorsky. He looks amazing. He, he, yeah. he really does. He's one of the most talented players to come into this organization, in a, maybe since Tarasenko, to be honest with you. Um, he looked so mm. good at the prospect camp last year. He's going to have a, a an opportunity to make a case in training camp next year that he belongs in the NHL as soon as next season. Otto Stenberg, uh, you look at Lindstein, the defenseman, who was kind of an afterthought for Sweden coming into the tournament, had a sensational tournament on the back end. And they've got other players, too. So seven guys, but they all performed well. So the next round and the future of the next wave of players, man, is not too far away. And they're going to be able to surround those guys with players that you mentioned, you know, like a Jake Neighbors, obviously, with Robert Thomas and Cairo. Pareko, who's having a fantastic season as well. So uh, this late, latest little um, winning streak here for the St. Louis Blues, like for, for any of our listeners and viewers here that haven't had a chance to watch St. Louis lately, what are they doing right? Like I made a big deal about, you know, they're back-to-back, they're back-to-back games where, you know, controversial non-calls led to, led, led to wins. There was the, you know, Jan Ruda, three picks on the Rangers, and the San Jose Sharks all of a sudden beat the Broadway Blue Shirts. And then there was, you know, the Braden Shen cross-check to Elias Pettersson and the St. Louis Blues, you know, uh, take one from Vancouver. Uh, but in this streak here, what have they done right? Like, what's working for St. Louis right now? Yeah, and a few games ago, hey, the Blues lost in overtime to the Boston Bruins, Jeff, when Robert Thomas was tripped yep. in the neutral zone right before Charlie McAvoy ended it just seconds later. So, you know, maybe that kind of was, uh, you know, <laughs> a little payback for that non-call it evens out Bruins. it evens it out. evens out i get that it's just it, it but the, the thing about it is andy i was making this point yesterday and let me just park this one for one second the thing about yeah. like, i don't mind if calls are missed during 60 minutes i really don't mind at all it's like okay it's all gonna even out. it's a hard game to officiate you know play on there's 10 guys on the ice plus two goaltenders i get it it's really hard uh, and a lot of times you know you miss an infraction it doesn't really impact the play but the thing about overtime is, like, you're taking a three-on-three and turning it into a three-on-two when you do what Ruta did or you do what Shen did the next the next night in Vancouver. And, I mean, you know hockey. A three-on-two is automatic. Like, you get down to three-on-two, like, you're scoring a goal. Like, it's an automatic. That's why I think of the only time that I really only really want the officials to really sharpen is when you have more vision of everything that's on the ice, and that's in the overtime. Like, that's the only time, Andy, that I really, really get on officials. Like, man, you got to nail it every single time in OT. Otherwise, you're just handing points away. You're handing points. Yeah, I won't disagree with you there. I mean, even the Shen, it wasn't the most egregious cross-check, and it was more of a of a push, but just by knocking Pedersen down, that allowed Shen to have the space to receive a pass from Nick Letty. It was a great pass from behind the net, and it gave yep. him time to be able to pick a spot and obviously didn't allow Pedersen to play tight on Shen and obviously contributed to the goal being scored. So I, I, I can see that. I think sometimes referees don't want to, make that call in overtime but if it's an obvious I one it. i guess sometimes you have to people focus on the cross check and say well it wasn't that bad of a cross check but 
how much did it impact the play and did it lead to the goal being scored? I think the obvious answer there is yes, but the Blues will certainly take it. But in terms of what they're doing well right sure. now, Drew Bannister's taken over, and you look at their power play and the goaltending. That's been the biggest difference right now. Their goaltending's playing at an elite level, and they're getting power play goals almost every single night. I think the power play was at 8% when Drew Bannister took over for Craig Berube, Jeff. I think they're up to 14% right now. Mm. They're getting power play goals virtually every single night. Had a couple games back where they were 0-4, and they had a, a four-minute double minor. They weren't able to take advantage of it. But they scored a big power play goal the other night where they got badly outplayed for the most part by Vancouver when you look at the shot totals. And the shot attempts, yeah. it wasn't even close. Vancouver's a hell of a team, but you get saves from your goaltender and, you know, you get some power play goals and you add some new pieces. You bring in a guy like Matt Kessel, for example, and Nathan Walker, a guy who Drew Bannister knew these guys down in the American League. I mean, the Blues mm -hmm. knew Walker as well because he had played some games here. But he understands, you know, after looking at this roster, how those guys can fit in and how they can impact the roster. They get them up here. And... um Obviously, it's paid off, you know. I mean, they're getting some balanced scoring, something they weren't getting earlier in the season. You know, Shen has goals now in three straight. Kevin Hayes is starting to play a little bit better. Kapanen's hurt right now. But, um, you know, you look at the yep. scoring from Jake Neighbors. It's not just Buchnevich, who went like eight or nine games without scoring. He finally gets back on the, on the score sheet with the goal the other night. Robert Thomas hasn't scored in like eight games, yet they're beating some of the best teams in the league. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to ask you, we'll, we'll finish up on this one here. Um, I, I want to ask you about Doug Armstrong. And we've seen Doug Armstrong approach trade deadline and say, you know what, even though we're right around a playoff spot and we're sniffing one here, you know what, if we're not, if we're not a legitimate playoff team, I'm going to punt. We've seen him do that before. Right, we've seen him do that with well, Stastny was the the most famous one. Next thing you know, Stastny's in in, in Winnipeg. Um, your thoughts on where? Like, can you give me like a hot ninety seconds on where you think Doug Armstrong's at with this team right now? You know, after all starts, all eyes on trade deadline. Where's Doug Armstrong at? Give me a hot ninety. Well, I, listen, I think that he looks at this team as as you know putting themselves in position to get into the playoffs. I mean, they've been hanging on all season, Jeffy, and. You know, now they're right there. But I think he's also realistic. He's very experienced. You know, his his precise calculations of how he's approached the trade deadline in years past have obviously worked, even though they're not the most popular decisions. You know, you just mentioned, you know, trading a Paul Stastny. Yeah. They were able to get a first-round pick for him. You look at the players they traded last uh, uh, time, uh, last year around the trade deadline, and, you know, the, uh, the pieces they got, you know, in return – for those guys. So I, I think he understands where this team is at. I don't think he looks as this team as a Stanley cup contender, although anything can happen once you get in, we certainly know that, but I think they have some pieces on this roster that would be attractive to other teams. Uh, I don't buy into like Colton Pareko rumors or anything like that, but could he move a couple of pieces from the back end? We saw him try to move Krug last off season. I would assume that would still be in play. How do they look at a guy like Scotty Perunovic moving into the future? He obviously is a former Hobie Baker winner, um, still trying to find his way into the NHL. He's dealt with injuries. You know, Brandon Saad has, you know, Stanley Cup winning pedigree. He's won a couple of cups. Uh, Oscar Sundquist can win big faceoffs and block shots down the stretch, and he's won obviously in the past with St. Louis. Sammy Blay. You know, look guy. at me, these yeah. guys on a one-year deal. I mean, you look at a guy like Casperi Kapanen. and. Is there anybody that would take a Jacob Verano? Probably not. But a Kapanen is a guy who's also on an expiring contract. And, you know, he might be a player that some teams could say, hey, we could use some depth and a guy who's got some yeah. speed 
and some scoring ability, not high-level scoring ability. You wish he scored more, but they've got some pieces that I wouldn't be surprised to see the Blues move on from. I don't see them adding significant pieces, though, Jeff. You're the best, Andy, either casual or formal. You're the best, man. You always got the good looks going. Uh, and I always appreciate you coming on and sharing sharing your expertise. Uh, you're a great reporter and a great hockey dad, too, and hockey coach. Uh, the great Andy. Yeah, Swimple. I appreciate Thanks, that. Pal. Thank you, Jeff. All the best to you, man. Take care. To, to you as well and your family. Andy Strickland uh, joining us, uh, part of the Cam and Strick podcast and uh, 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 St. Louis Blues reporter as well, ringside. Uh, time now for a line change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, Matt Marquise. We only got four this evening, but we're looking at Hockey Night in Canada as well tomorrow night. What do you have your eyeballs on? Uh, the Canadians at the Penguins. We know Sidney Crosby likes to put on a little bit of a show when he plays against the team that he grew up cheering for. Uh, Penguins are favored by minus one and a half in that one. The over has hit in five of the last six between these two teams. Seven of the last 11 have been decided by two goals or less. Three of the last four have been decided in overtime or a shootout. And one team has scored at least five goals in these matchups in five of the last seven games. Yeah, this, this, this one's a fascinating one, and there'll be no Brendan Gallagher for the Montreal Canadiens. Although, as of you know, as of this conversation right now, he has he has yet to be suspended. We expect that one to be uh, coming for the hit on Adam Pellick. Um, when it comes to the Montreal Canadiens, I- I'm telling you, one of the most interesting stories, and we saw this on Thursday with a pair of goals, including the game winner. What happens with Sean Monahan, who is healthy and is productive? What can Montreal get for him? Which team does he end up with? Montreal picked up a first-round pick in picking up Sean Monaghan. Now the question becomes, can they get a first-round draft pick? Mm, Going to be tight, but can they get a first-round draft pick as they say goodbye to Sean Monaghan? As for the Penguins, it's got to be decision time soon for Kyle Dubas. Are we in? Are we out? What are we doing here? That's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. Aaron Ambrose, Brian Boyle, Hour 2 on the Horizon next. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Four games on the go around the NHL this evening. Vegas takes on the New York Rangers. Philip Hedl injured at practice today. We hope the best for him, just coming off injury. Uh, Florida Panthers face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. It'll be the Los Angeles Kings trying to turn things around. Game one of a three-game road trip against the, uh-oh, Colorado Avalanche. Um, The St. Louis Blues face off against the Seattle Kraken. Want to thank, by the way, Andy Strickland for stopping by uh, to finish up Hour 1. Hour 2 now very much uh, involved here with Brian Boyle, uh, who's our our good friend, former NHLer, and does a lot of outstanding work with the NHL Network as well. And, you know, before we get into this sort of tour around the NHL, and I want to ask you about John Tortorella, uh, I want to ask you about playing with a very young Austin Matthews in his his rookie season in the NHL. I want to talk to you about... Growing up an American 
hockey player. And for the longest time, I've said the future of international hockey is Canada versus the United States. Uh, I put out a report yesterday about how uh, the CHL is doing away with their um, NHL-CHL top prospects game. Uh, Next season, we're going to see a top prospects from CHL face off against top prospects from the United States, uh, which I believe will probably be a combination of the development program and some players from the USHL as well. Nothing confirmed there, but the level of hockey in the United States is, from a Canadian's point of view, frightening. What was it like for you growing up in uh, uh, playing hockey in the United States? Well, it was everything it is now but it's a lot more now there's a lot more exposure to it there's a lot of for better or worse people that understand that it's a growing game with the youth especially in my area in the northeast but there some people are taking advantage and and making a lot of money off of it Um, but there's a lot of opportunity there's more opportunity now I, I played in what was the Metro Boston Hockey League it's now called the EHF my son plays in the EHF um, there's tournaments in the summer. I went to tournaments in the summer. My dad put together a team because he liked the dads and hung out with the dads. Mm-hmm. And we got to we went to Montreal, we went to Toronto, we went to Ottawa. You know, all different all different years. We played in two or three tournaments in the summer. Played a lot of baseball. Now there's spring leagues and summer leagues and five or six or seven tournaments. So, again, for better or worse, there's more of it. The skill level raises. I think every year the NHL gets better, and every year every league under it gets better as well. And there's a lot. I mean, college is expensive, and high school is expensive now. For the kids that go to prep school, if you can find an angle to get yourself in, that's one thing. And if you're exceptional, you can get get a little bit of a, a price break as well. So... These are all very real things. It's not getting any cheaper to play. Um, but there's there's a lot. I could We could talk for an hour on this. I just did a podcast with Corey Schneider about what I think is great about it and what I think is really we're missing the point, we're missing the mark, and, you know, selling these kids short a little bit. But no question the talent is Listen, I, 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 getting better. I, I love these conversations. Honestly, I, I want to turn to the NHL in a second, but I'm curious as, as someone who grew up in it and someone that still has a vested interest in it through your son as well. Um, I said, I've been through it with, with my two boys and they're still, you know, one's, you know, 14 U and the other is, is 12 U. Um, so I'm still right in the thick of things as well. Uh, and I see good things and I see bad things and I see people that are, you know, have all the best intentions for the, the young boys and girls and others that are in it to make a quick buck. And eventually you start to understand the difference between the two, although at some points they can be a little bit confused, but from your vantage point, what's good, what's bad? The, the talent level is good. The coaching is, is good. The technology is good. There's live barn. You can see these things. You watch. You can yes. watch other teams practice. Yeah. I, don't, I don't watch other teams practice, but I know there's coaches and, <laughs> and, and, and program directors that watch other teams and scout other players. Um, <clears throat> understanding yeah. what makes behavioral patterns of, <clears throat> excuse me, of the age groups so you can communicate with the, that certain age group so you can tell them the things that they can work on helps. Uh, we were sort of had the training wheels on our kids. I watched, we went and played a team. Uh, the, the, the Islanders are up in Merrimack and they have a great program. 
And after the game, I looked at our head coach and said, we can push these kids way harder because that team is eight years old as well. Last time, last time I checked mm -hmm. and they can do all these things I want to do with these kids. We it's, it's understanding the boundaries and people, we, we have to go through all these programs on coaching kids and clinics and learning what their behaviors are. If you want to help coach, which I think is also good, um, exposing people mm -hmm. that are in it for the wrong reasons or people that will prey on kids, getting rid of them like as best we can. That's an important thing. Keeping our kids safe is really important. I think body check should be introduced at this age. Um, maybe in the minority there, but in a controlled way. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things that uh, I don't think is helping them. I think understanding where the danger areas are helps move the puck more. I think um, the cost of it, again, has to come down a little bit. The amount of time the kids – there has to be certainly a break when the season ends for the, get the kids off the ice and get them running, throwing a ball, catching a ball, swimming, doing something. Yep. Um, people thinking they have to be on a certain team so they can go to a certain tournament at a certain age is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. I did not play in the Brick tournament. Yeah. I did not play in the Quebec Pee Wee tournament. I'm sure I would have loved it and had fun doing it. But I played for 15 years in the NHL. I got a couple jerseys behind me that I never wanted. My wife did that. But it's like these things don't matter. The passion for the kid is all that matters. And having them enjoy going to the rink and hating leaving the rink. Yeah. That's my goal for all of our kids. Uh, amen. And I keep saying to my kids, all you're doing is building a foundation. You're building a foundation. Don't chase tournaments. Don't chase teams. Don't chase letters. Don't chase any of it. Just build your foundation as long as you're having fun, to your point, uh, as long as you want to be the first one there and the last one to leave and you want to be screamed off the ice by the Zamboni driver, then you're doing okay. You know, one of the things, I'll, I'll finish up on this one. This is, this is going to be a shot at hockey parents and it's probably intended to. I love it. When I look at kids kids development the one thing that i like there's a lot of things that i shake my head at i think we all do but the one thing that i really shake my head at is the way that i don't want to paint with a roller here so i won't say all hockey parents but some hockey parents consider development to be linear and it only goes one way it only goes upwards not understanding that kids are going to hit hurdles and it's going to be a bunny hop it's going to be two steps forward and two steps back and three steps forward and two steps back. Like development doesn't go only in one direction. You know, there are moments where your development stalls and that's okay. That's okay. There are times where you don't have that growth spurt that you thought you would get and your parents desperately want you to have. And that's okay. And I'm sure you've seen this before. Like, I don't think the kids freak out if their development stalls as much as parents do because they just consider that development only goes in one direction, and if it stops, then something is wrong. Nothing is wrong. Your kid's just growing up, Brian. True or false? Well, 100% true. I 100% I agree with you. Different kids hit those times at different points, even in a season. I've, I've coached these kids only for two years, and you know, three weeks ago, who, who, are, who are our most improved players? Well, they're all different now. They they don't they don't go at the same yeah. time they they certain players come out of nowhere it seems sometimes and just something clicks other players they could they could be battling you know there's rsv and pneumonia running around in new england right now everybody yeah certain kids like parents are coming to me what's wrong with them should he be should he be dropped down a level i'm like just let them enjoy it sometimes you go through these hard times that are that are all naturally made <laughs> like they happen and 
This is a great way for your kid to learn how to play a different way. Maybe, maybe they didn't grow. Like you said, now they're not the biggest kid on the ice. They have to learn to be quick and learn different things. It's, it's all part of that development. I was a very good player on my team for a lot of years. One year I was terrible a whole year. Pretty much. I was bad like 12 years old playing for the South shore Kings. I couldn't play. They stuck me on D they tried to Bob Murray. The the agent was my head coach. They were trying all these different things. My dad was like, what does it matter? I couldn't skate in a straight line. I would toe pick and fall. And I didn't even, it wasn't like I had a big growth spurt. I just, but something was changing in my body. It upset me. I was bummed out. I remember to this day, I was 11 or 12 years old. And it just happened that way that some towards the end of the year, I worked myself out of it. And then I was back to being the guy that I was every other year. I mean, these things happen and you can't really explain it. Every kid's different and mm-hmm. it's hard to advance even to play high school hockey at a high level. It's very hard. You just got to let them enjoy yep. it because it's a very, very short time frame of their lives, but it's very important. Yeah. True words uh, from Brian Boyle. Okay, you know, when we um, when we think of coaches, let me see if I can transition this from youth hockey to the NHL. Uh, my kids have had screamers for coaches. My kids have had teachers for coaches. My kids have had combinations of both. And we just saw Owen Tippett sign a contract extension with the Philadelphia Flyers here. And there were many, and I was one of them, that did not think the John Tortorella-Owen Tippett relationship was going to work. I've been stunned. I think this is a great lesson in uh, hockey relationships and working things out um, and being able to, for both sides, to to give uh, and satisfy what the other side needs. Let me ask you, I mean, you played for John Tortorella. You've probably seen people that thrive under him and people that wilt under John Tortorella. When I say his name, what goes through your mind? I always smile. I'm so thankful for what he did for me. He made me an NHL player and made me understand how hard it is, how hard it's going to be, and how every single year it's going to be even harder. And these are, I mean, these are the truest set of ground rules and and understanding that I had. And he, you know, he pounded it into my brain. But when Owen Tippett walks into a room, if you've ever been in a room with Owen Tippett, he's a massive human being. He's a big boy. He yes. can skate. He can yep. shoot. If he walks into a room and John Tortorella gets his eyes on him, he's going to turn him into a player that plays a certain way. He's going to use his strengths and let him play and use those, but he is going to make sure he competes. And I, I was talking again about this on the on the Patrick Waugh hiring and what that does for the Islanders. Um, it, it brings a level of emotion. I've talked about it with the Rangers, how they have the ability and talent, but sometimes if the emotion isn't there, any team in the league, they can't, you can't play. The, the playoffs are so much fun because there's so much emotion. I always felt like I had more energy and played better, skated faster, hit harder. John Tortorella brings yeah. the emotion into a room. And there's games where you don't have it. You go through a long stretch. There's dog days in the season. He makes sure everyone has it. And if you don't, he'll sit you down for a little while. And he's not scared to do that. The things that he does are so essential for a team to play as consistent as they can up to their potential and it is not for everyone and if that's clear you won't you won't be playing for torts because he has a way and it's it's a mm-hmm. i think i think the right way that emotion is absolutely necessary in the nhl the skill level is too good different teams go through different things sometimes they're highly motivated sometimes you got to manufacture it 
if you, the, the the most intense teams, the most intense players who are consistently intense, you think of a Crosby or a McKinnon or the, these guys that are so dialed in, they're every game. So it's yeah. he brings that, he brings that, and that's why I think I mean that's why I'm so thankful I got to play for him for four years. You know, I, I always look at John Tortorella and I try to figure out, and I'm kind of at this place where I, I try to sort of, you know, figure out who John Tortorella is from afar. Obviously, I've never been behind that door um, like you have with John Tortorella. And I say, okay, so is he a old new school coach or a new old school coach? And is he sort of a combination of both? Um, like, how would you describe who John Tortorella is as a head coach, because I think the default position is there's only one type of player that could be successful under John Tortorella. There's only one way to play, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you look at the evidence that he's put in front of us right now with the Philadelphia Flyers, and I look at it and I say, there's so many different levels to John Tortorella. And a lot of it, you know, I'll be honest with you, Brian, the one place that I really saw it play itself out was with Cam York. The defenseman. So two years ago, Cam York, everyone's mm-hmm. expecting to have a spot on that Flyers blue line. Oh, here comes the first round pick, a uh, big hotshot defenseman, and bam, Torts cuts him. And it's off to the American Hockey League. Now, personally, I'm of the belief that that was a test, that John Tortorella wanted to test the kid to see what his attitude was going to be like going down to the American Hockey League. Was he going to have boo-boo face? Was he going to be pouty? Was he going to turn into, you know, a a miserable, grumpy hockey player? Or was he going to work hard to get back to the NHL? And when he made his way back, I think it was like 19 or 20 games he spent at Lehigh Valley. All John Tortorella could do, and this is after knocking him in in uh, after training camp, and you know, York needs to learn this, and York needs to learn that. I don't care where he was drafted and blah, 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 blah. All Tortorella could do was praise the kid. I'm convinced that was a test. Do you think things like that are tests for John Tortorella and he he tests players all throughout his season, whether they're young players or whether they're veteran players? Well, that's a situation where he understood where his team was and understood what, and I don't want to speak for him, but I'm assuming he understands what Cam York can be as a player. And he didn't like what he saw in his first impression. And regardless if he was one of those top six guys in terms of talent level and what he could maybe do, he wants him to be maybe a top two guy. And that that was what I thought. And, yeah, I guess to your point, yeah, testing him, seeing how he reacts, but also challenging him. Like, you, you can look around and be as good as you need to be or you can figure out the reason why you're here, why you made it, why we drafted you, and be as good as you have to be. Like, you can be as good as you can be. Don't be just... Don't be better than the guy you're above. Be as good as you possibly can be. He challenges guys who are having good years. He challenges the best player on the team to be better. That's so important and so hard to do. Human nature is it's uh it's great in some ways and it's not when you're <laughs> when you get comfortable. He doesn't let you get comfortable ever. And everything he's done, I mean, there's yeah. different different situations come with different players. You know, I've been sat down by him, and I was definitely one of the top 12. I shouldn't have been scratched, but I wasn't playing as good as I could have been, and he sat me down, and we got in an argument and whatever. Yeah. It's, it's it, it understands, like, you can be better. Don't waste my time. And that's his rule. I mean, his meetings are right to the point. He doesn't min- mince words. 
does not like to waste any time. He doesn't spend at the rink. This is him as a coach now. At the rink, he he won't. He's not yeah. a lot. Of, not a lot of chit chat going on. He's there for business. He gets things done, and his communication is right to the point. And some guys might not love that, but I loved it because it's what are we doing here to get better and win? And that was that was yeah. fine. Away from the rink, it's a different human. Uh, I, I want to get your thoughts on Patrick Wye. You mentioned him briefly before, but one final thought on John Tortorella because you said something, and I can't just leave it out there because I'm way too curious, Brian. What is an argument with John Tortorella like? Uh, rated R. <laughs> Carte blanche. It, it's, uh, and you got to give him credit too because you're either he pushes your buttons to you. It was year three or year four. Where I finally just let loose yeah. and said exactly what I was thinking, like I was having an argument on the ice with somebody that I was about to fist fight. Um, yeah, there, there's, uh, it's green light. I actually apologized to him once after an argument because I got, I got, I got in there and I said some things. Uh huh. And he, like, what are you talking about? No, no, forget it. I don't even remember that. <laughs> so he, he doesn't, <laughs> it's, it's not. You know, you don't want to be super disrespectful to your head coach, and he won't he won't allow that or stand for it. But sure. when the passion's out, and you're you're screaming with a little yeah. piss and vinegar, he he kind of he doesn't mind it. I don't think he hates it. Okay, speaking of coaching passion, uh, Patrick Waugh. This is you know as I've been describing it. This this is the gift that keeps on giving. Patrick Waugh's Christmas morning for hockey broadcasters for hockey media. There's always a story. Uh, the NHL is so much better with Patrick Waugh involved in it. Uh, I think we all had the same. I think we all wondered the same thing yesterday at the Bell Center in Montreal as they're playing, you know, the video montage of his career uh, over the national anthem and he's getting the standing ovation. I think we were all thinking, this is amazing. Can you imagine what it would be like if he was standing on the bench behind the Montreal Canadiens? What that would have been like. Anyway, we'll park that conversation for somewhere down the road, perhaps. Um, but j- just your thoughts on, you know, Patrick Waugh, back in the NHL, you talk about passion uh, of coach- for coaches, and that's clearly one of the things that, that Patrick Waugh brings. What were some of your thoughts when you first, and this news stunned everybody, found out that Patrick Waugh was joining the Islanders? Yeah, I was stunned as well, but I thought this could be great. This is this is not. Mm-hmm. You didn't see him going back with the Islanders, especially. I mean, they've, and maybe this is why yeah. Lou is is Lou, and he's done so many great things. But he, it was it was not even on the radar. You know, we had a little inkling that things aren't going good for for Lane Lambert, and we were talking about it amongst yep. ourselves at the NHL Network prior to him getting fired. This was this was wild, but I loved it right from the start. I said, this is. This has been sort of a stale team. Now, this year they've been a little more exciting, but also giving up goals like they never have. But they're scoring. There's at least yeah. more there to watch. You, you don't know what you're going to see. Before, you could you could predict the game before it happened. And now it continues to get even. There's another layer of, of intrigue with with Patrick Waugh behind the bench. And that first practice, the clips of him in that first practice, I was like, that's that's a guy who loves being on the ice. All that he's accomplished, all that he's done. He's out there snapping it around, yeah. yelling. The, the The energy level was very high. And I said, oh, well, when we were talking about it again, the Islanders could be a problem now. They got the pieces. They have enough players. They got a good enough back end if they get healthy. And the goaltending's there. If he gets these guys dialed in, this is going to be a great story for yeah. the rest of the year. 
We shall see. Uh, quickly, before I let you go, um, Nikita Kucherov at it again last night. We'll probably see Nathan McKinnon at it tonight against the Los Angeles Kings. There's a lot of other players that you know uh, want to be part of the conversation and could be part of the conversation for the best player in the NHL right now today. Uh, but Brian Boyle, who is the best player in the NHL right now today? Oh, man. Oh, I love Cooch. I love Kucherov. I, I don't think he gets enough. I don't think he gets enough love. The way he can he can yep. play on his backhand as good as as good as anyone, as good as Crosby and, and Dreisaitl, and that's that's a hard guy to check. Mm. That's a guy that can play into his late thirties and still deceive people because he does so well on his backhand. There's not enough guys that can do that. But man, Nate, like Nathan McKinnon, I could put TV. I could put the game on, and my wife would be watching. And, and I played a long time. She still doesn't really have any clue what's going on. And she could notice him immediately and be like, that guy's fun to watch. For sure. So it's in his competitiveness yep. and his intensities at another level. But Cooch's is right there too. He doesn't say a whole lot. He wants to be left alone. I, I'm like, why don't we talk about this guy every single night? Look what he's doing in Tampa. Yep. But yeah, Nate's and Nate's in Colorado. He's He's a couple time zones away for us on the East. He's still appointment television. Yep. He is. He is, as I've as I've said before, the closest thing that we've seen to our rhinoceros on skates. Like that's that's Nathan <laughs> yes. McKinnon. That's how he plays. He's like that powerful. But then the thing about Kucherov that I just love is, and I always tell my kids this as well. I got this you know, adv- advice when I was young too. Um, when you're out there on the ice, always be giving out bad information. Give out bad information, yes. bad information, bad information. Bad. No one does it better. Nobody gives out bad information better than Nikita Kucherov. And the thing is, and you know this, everybody bites. And these are NHLers. Oh, yeah. And he's and these guys should know it. But everybody bites. It's remarkable. Like the, the Kucherov phenomenon about- to me is remarkable. Yeah, I, I I mentioned misinformation on a broadcast with the, the Rangers. That's what makes Fox so well because he doesn't ski as well, and he and Panarin does it too. But you're right, Cooch is Cooch is number one at showing you something yeah. and having two two other plans. As soon as your stick flips from left to yeah. right, he's got he's got someone in the seam and it's in the net. It's 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 remarkable. That is uh, appointment television too. Uh, Brian, listen, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, love the stuff on youth hockey as well. I think that's really important and always something we should keep top of mind. Uh, continued success at the NHL Network, and we will check in soon, my friend. You have a wonderful weekend. Thanks, Jeff. You too, man. Appreciate it. Always good. Uh, Brian Boyle from the NHL Network, breaking it down. You know, I, I think the stuff about Kucherov is, is fascinating. He played with Kucherov uh, in Tampa Bay, and I know that's a it, it's a real tug between the two. It's almost as if, and I hate the analogy of, oh, it's like comparing apples and oranges because, quite frankly, apples and oranges are more similar than they are different. So we should probably park that analogy. Um, I like what the Brits say. It's like comparing chalk to cheese. That's what I feel about Nikita Kucherov and uh, and Nathan McKinnon. Such different players, like wildly different players. Uh, One is the master of deception. Nobody in the NHL is better at the art of deception than Nikita Kucherov. He is the finest. And we've all seen the plays, too, over and over again. Over and over again. Like the fake slap shot, pass into the bumper, and everybody bites on it except for Kucherov and usually Braden Point. And it's always beautiful when it happens. 
uh, to the point about forehand, backhand. He gets guys to bite, like guys in the NHL who should know better. Like these are the best of the best, and he's got them hoodwinked. Like we haven't seen this since Pavel Datsuk. Datsuk was the master of this as well. Kucherov right there. But then you have the power game of Nathan McKinnon, which is a sight to behold. And you've seen it. I mean, how many times have you seen Nathan McKinnon on a rush and literally bodies are bouncing off of him? It's like a, he's like a superhero, really. When he, gets a, when he gets ahead of steam, like on the power play, when he gets the drop and starts going, you're just like, this is the easiest zone entry of the night. Watch this. And sure enough, try to defend. Good luck. Try to f- defend with your stick. No problem. Try to defend physically with your body, your shoulders. Yeah, not a chance. There's no one that's going to knock him down or slow him down. So right now, these seem to be the two that clearly have distinguished themselves. I know there'll be debate from Edmonton. I get it. I know there'll be debate from New York. I get it. I know there'll be debate from Pittsburgh. I get it. But the two of them that have distinguished themselves for the Hart Trophy so far this season could not be more different in the way they play the game, the way they approach the game, and the way they think the game. One is a magician. The other is a powerhouse. Take your pick. We get to enjoy them both. Uh, Tonight, the Colorado Avalanche face off against the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, Kings have lost 12 of 14. You know, Drew Doughty did not mince words the other day after the loss against the Buffalo Sabres where they went up 3-1 to on Anse Kopitar night and surrendered four goals. Right away. And then Dowdy talked about players that were more selfish than thinking about team and they think it's cookie night and we wonder, okay, you go down the lineup. Is he talking about uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois? Is he talking about Kevin Fiala? Is he talking about Adrian Kempe? Like all of a sudden that becomes part of the conversation. I'm really curious to see how the Los Angeles Kings react tonight. The coach called him out. Tom McClellan did. Drew Doughty called out certain players on this team. I'm really curious to see how the Kings react against a really good team in the Colorado Avalanche. St. Louis faces off against Seattle tonight. Uh, The Florida Panthers take on the Pittsburgh Penguins. One little pause on the Florida Panthers here. Um, A belated congratulations uh, to Paul Maurice, uh, who's now coached 1,813 games, uh, overtaking Barry Trotz for number two all-time. Uh, congratulations to Paul Maurice there. Scotty Bowman is, of course, number one, 2,141 games coach. So still a little bit of a ways away uh, for Paul Maurice to uh, to travel there. But uh, listen, I know the Florida Panthers had a little bit of a speed wobble. Uh, looks like they've uh, righted the ship very much, and this one should be a good one. Uh, Penguins need every single point they can grab right now. And I know when we say Penguins right now, all we can think about is that loss in Krause goal where Chris Letang fired it back to Yevgeny Malkin, who put it in his own net on a delayed penalty. And I I know very much that the Pittsburgh Penguins are looking to change that story and that narrative about them from this week around and the Vegas Golden Knights face off against the New York Rangers as I mentioned Philip Heedle who is you know trying relentlessly to to come back and has been so great to watch him on the ice and we'll cross our fingers and hope that he was okay went down today uh, in practice and had to be helped off the ice um, the Rangers are in a little bit of trouble right now losers eight of their last 12 and in the Metropolitan Division don't look now 
but the Carolina Hurricanes are real good and beat the New Jersey Devils yesterday. And the mom's trip is a lot of fun with the Carolina Hurricanes. It was great to see Brady Shea's mom read out the starting lineup, and it was really great to see the Carolina Hurricanes bring the moms on the ice last night for the storm surge. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Uh, and that will hit a break. Uh, I'm also a sucker for the PWHL and the top team, Montreal, and Aaron Ambrose, gold medalist, both in the Olympics and the World Championships. Uh, Aaron Ambrose joins me to conclude the week here on the Merrick Show. Across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 316, wherever you get your podcasts. Ambrose, next. Keep it here. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Want to conclude this show today and this week here on the programming uh, program by welcoming in uh, someone who everybody is familiar with. She is an Olympic gold medalist. She is a world championship gold medalist. Uh, she's a big part of the blue line for PWHL Montreal, the top team in the league, I should add. Uh, she is the one and only Aaron Ambrose. And if you're watching us on Sportsnet 360 right now, uh, you can see her in a lovely white PWHL hoodie. And I'm wondering where Henry is. Where do you think he is? There he is. He is right here. Uh, Henry, Henry the hockey dog. I love it. There he is. Everybody's favorite. Love him. Okay. Uh, I do want to talk to you about uh, Montreal. I want to talk to you about the PWHL. I want to talk to you about the weekend on the horizon. I want to talk to you about knocking off Minnesota in Minnesota at the XL Energy Center, 2-1 to one in the battle for first in the league. But... Two nights ago, Aaron Ambrose, um, my uh, my 2010, uh, was playing in Keswick at the Georgina Ice Palace. And the one thing that I do whenever I go to a rink is I'm the guy that goes and stares at all the trophies. I'm the guy that goes and stares at all the pictures. Like, I'll park like half an hour and look at all the pictures and go over all the names and try to read all the trophies and read all the names. And I come across... A picture of the 2000-2001 Georgina Blaze Novice AA Champions. And there's Sean Walker. Nice. And there's Chris Cherney. Nice. And there's Olympic gold medalist Aaron Ambrose on this team. And it got me to wondering, did this squad with three elite players on it, NHLers, gold medalists, have reached the pinnacle of their careers. Did that team ever lose a game? We did not lose a game that year, Jeff. Um, I actually was reading your tweet. I saw your tweet and I was looking at some of the comments and one of my teammates from that year, Curtis Harvey, actually replied to your tweet and told you that we did not lose a game. We did not. Went undefeated. So, Um, yeah. No, uh, I think we went, but I actually, my dad texted me in the Red Lobster Cup, um, which was the OMHA finals. He said, we were beating Brampton 3-0 in the Red Lobster Cup, tied the fourth game, and then we won the fifth one. Ooh, so there was tied. Hang on, so who, who did you, who, who, do you remember who you tied? The controversy of a tie, Aaron Ambrose. I don't remember, actually, and usually I'm really good with that stuff. The double A is really easy for me to triple A to get. 
Yeah. Okay. Let me. Uh, well, we can get into your your Simcoe Express career as well if you wanna if you wanna go all the way down to to, to that level of minor hockey. But um, okay, I, I'm curious about. I mean, the team success was there for that Georgina Blaze. What about individual success? How many points? And I believe you were you were a defender then, not a not a forward. So you were you were playing on the blue line. How many points did you have that year? So I hate right now that you are just prodding to get the answers that I've already told you these things. Um, that, so now I'm yeah. the one that has to get say this, not you. Because if it was you saying it, yep. it would sound a lot cooler than me bragging about it myself. Okay, 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 okay. Hang on a second. Hang on a second here. Aaron Ambrose, that year with the Georgina Blaze, you put up the century mark, 100 points for a defender. Do any of them stand out for you, or is it all a blur? Uh, I actually can confirm that I do remember we were playing the Richmond Hill Stars. Um, I oh, think yeah. it would have been at the Elvis Stoico Arena. And I do remember one yep. goal assisted by Chris Tierney. I don't know why that one is ingrained in my mind, but I do remember that. But Chris, yeah. I got to shout out Chris. Chris had 100 goals that year, so kid could put the buckle back Oof. in that. That's for sure. Well, what about Sean Walker, star of the Philadelphia Flyers blue line on your Georgina uh, Blaze team? Shawnee was a stay-at-home D. Um, I think he was at all, pretty much all of my years that I played with him. He was always a rock solid. He was a peak carrier. Just he was for the longest time. Like I remember seeing him. He came when he was playing Bowling Green. He came to Clarkson and played at Clarkson. I hadn't seen Shawnee in probably like close to ten years. And the guy was like a man. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, when did this happen? Because when I had left playing with him, he was the <laughs> shortest guy on the team, but he was the guy with the biggest heart. His dad always said, yeah. Andy always said, it's not about the size of the, fight, the dog in the fight. It's always about the size of the fight in the dog. Yep. That was his favorite quote. Yeah. Uh, listen, he's having a tremendous season with the Philadelphia Flyers. I think there's a, there's a lot of teams that want him. I think there's a lot of teams that are wondering around trade deadline if they can get him. Uh, and I still honestly do wonder if the Philadelphia Flyers look to lock him up long-term. Anyhow, and all of it began for you and Cherney and Sean Walker back in Keswick in 2000, 2001. Okay, to the PWHL in Montreal. First of all, the game against Minnesota. Uh, exciting game. Uh, a little confused by your penalty. Uh, the thing that I, that I think a lot of people really enjoy about the PWHL is the nature of the officiating, which is let them play. Um, what did, what happened on that call, which I don't like to harp on referees, but I'm sorry, that's not a penalty all day. It's not. So you did see it. You did see it. Um, I did. it was a frustrating one. Um, I think actually the line he said to me, like, oh, we'll probably like review that one as a league. And I think it's, it's difficult right now. Everybody's trying to figure out where the line is. Um, and for yeah. me on that penalty, I felt we were going in the same direction, I didn't think I led by any means with my shoulder. Like, I think it was two people kind of going for the puck and trying to keep, I guess, I was trying to keep my lane and where I was at. She was trying to cut into the net, obviously. Um, so I was definitely frustrated by that call. Um, and, like, I think Pooh went over and talked to the ref eventually, too. And she just said it was an open ice collision, which I think there was a lot other bigger, better hits in the open ice that we had that game. Um, so... It's tough. I think we as players are understanding in the sense of, okay, we're trying to figure out, everybody's trying to figure out where the line is. Um, but a call like that, that late in the game, when other things have kind of been let go, that's when you get a little bit frustrated as a player. 
You know, you've, um, I want to pick up on that conversation about Marie-Philippe Poulain, um, and you spoke quite glowingly about her the other day. I don't think anyone would disagree with you uh, about what you said about, you know, where she fits in hockey history, specifically, uh, she's the GOAT. Like, she's the greatest player that we've ever seen in hockey, like, period, and the most clutch. We've talked about that before. I've tried to drill that point home. You know, male, female, animal, vegetable, doesn't matter. She's the most clutch player ever, period. I am. I do wonder what she's like on the ice. Like, we've seen high-end players, whether it's Wayne Gretzky, whether it's Sidney Crosby, kind of big dog officials and kind of get them in their pocket a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, is she that kind of player? Like, is she uh, is she kind of like uh, talk, talk to the officials so you get the benefit of the doubt? Because, listen, when Marie-Philippe Poulin speaks... People listen on and off the ice. Do the referees listen on the ice to the GOAT? I would say that overall, Jeff, in our game, like in the women's game, I would say that we do not converse nearly as much as the guys do with officials. Um, I think it's something that we Hmm. should get better at. Um, Personally, actually, I had one of the lineys. uh, It was in our opener in Ottawa. He was in Minnesota as well. Uh, and we were standing there at a face-off, and he goes, Ambrose? I said, yeah. He goes, he used to play against you in AAA. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah. I said, no way. Yeah, and he played for, I think he said Middlesex Chiefs. And I was like, oh. And I, like, it's nice to get to know them as human beings. Um, and it's a little bit different, uh-huh. I think, than the men's side, because a lot of us don't really connect over the years with a, a lot of the officials. Like, I don't think... The guys come out of the high level a lot of the time and go right into officiating, whereas I think in the female side, they kind of work their way up the whole time. It's not necessarily, hey, I was yep. a Division One player, now I'm going to start to officiate. Um, so I think, honestly, now that we're getting a lot of the same refs over and over again, I think it's going to be an opportunity to kind of create, I want to say relationships because you know that they are there to do a job and so are we, but at the same time, like I yeah. really respect what they do um as much as i don't always agree with them and i think for us like just having the conversations with players with our coaches like that's something that doesn't happen as much on the female side but i think we need to get to Mm -hmm. did you uh you can level this all listening and watching right now did you dust his elgin middlesex team when you played ysc Uh, i think we didn't at first um i think we ended up getting there they had some big i want to say it was elgin middlesex but now i'm questioning myself it was either that or like an ancaster um but i'll just okay i I don't want to throw the guy under the bus but i didn't remember him so (laughs) well he remembered you obviously um How okay? Let, let me let me get at you this way then. Um, how would you explain the success of Montreal? Like we looked at all of these teams and kind of said, okay, well, you know, on paper this team looks good. On paper this team, eh, we're not so sure about. Uh, and then the games start, and now we're starting to sift through. You know where the strengths are, um, where the weaknesses are, who's good, who needs work, who's having a tough go. Um, you know, did this team make this mistake with this player? Should the backup really be a net for this team? How do you explain the success of Montreal early on? Like we all looked at it and said, Ambrose on this team, Mary Philippe Poulin's on this team. Like this is going to be a good squad, but you never know until you play. Why do you think this team has done so well? Well, I think right off the bat, you said, uh, talking about like, ah, should the backup be in the lineup? Um, and I think 
with Anne Renee as our number one goalie. Um, nobody's going to question that at yeah. all. But I think what Elaine Truly has done when she's come in and played the way she has, she's got two wins. She's been phenomenal in both games. Um, would like to say that we didn't love the fact that we gave up 46 shots on net, uh, 48, 49, whatever it was. Um, but at the same time, to know that Truly can come in and give us a chance to win. Uh, Marlene Boissonneau, who's our third, same thing. Like She could come in and give us a chance to win. And then obviously when we know we have Anne and that, um, we have a chance to win every night. So I think starting with our goaltending, it's been really key. Um, and I think that as mm-hmm. a group, we haven't loved the amount of grade A scoring chances we have given up. Um, I think the volume of shots is what it is. Sometimes it's not always reflective of things. Um, but at the same time, I think we need to minimize a little bit the grade A scoring chances. And that's something that as a group, we're working really hard on just the defensive side of things. I think you talked about it our... I think our offensive prowess is well known um, when it starts with somebody like Marie-Philippe Boulin and then even somebody like Laura Stacey who continues to just show the elevation of her game, um, not just here in Montreal, but she started to elevate with the national team as well. Um, and then you have somebody like Kristen O'Neill who hasn't scored yet, but is going to start to create offensively and everybody else is just kind of, understanding and learning the right way to play the game. And I know that that's such a cliche thing to say, but when you play the right way, it changes everything about how you can create offense just from good positioning defensively. And I think it's something that once we continue to hone in on that, everything else offensively is going to come. You know, um, Aaron, and I'm speaking with Aaron Ambrose from PWHL Montreal, you've been part of some really big moments. I mean, Olympic moments, World Championship moments. Um, What was game one, though, like for you? Like, how was that different? I know what the Olympic experience meant to you. I know what the World Championships meant to you. What did game one in this league mean to you? That honestly might be my new favorite question, Jeff. Um, I think Hmm. that you kind of forget how monumental what we're doing is. Um, And game one, I think we got to watch, actually we put it on on the bus of the inaugural game. So the Toronto game, Toronto, New York, game. we put it on the bus on our way to Ottawa. And just how captivated we were as a group by it. Um, And we knew that obviously these are our competitors, but to see... The production that was put together for it was fantastic. Um, And then getting to go out there in Ottawa, it was loud. Um, It was very loud. And I actually was on a podcast. I was on Empty Netters last week, uh, or I guess it came out this week. And I mentioned I had never been booed before. As a team, I've never been booed. (laughs) Even Canada, U.S., like we never get booed. And we walked out on the ice, and I was in the tunnel, literally being like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, it's just something that hadn't yeah. happened. Um, to, so <clears throat> I think, like, obviously to come out of that game with an OT win was pretty pretty special to start yeah. the year off. Um, but something just, like, that one is a core memory that'll be with me forever. You know, one of the things, you know, Elliot and I were talking about this the other day here on the show. One of the things that I think we're really, all of us um, are really glad that the PWHL is doing is as much as it is a league that is, is, is you know, following a, a lot of traditions of how the game has always been played, 
Um, it's a league that's not afraid to try different things as well. And I think that hockey needs a league like this. The American League used to do this. Like the American League used to, as long as it didn't interfere directly or sort of make a mockery of the game, they would try new things. Like they were the first ones, you know, try, you know, the, the shootout to decide games. They had five shooters. The NHL went to three. Um, the uh, mandatory visors, for example, like that was the, the AHL. I don't want to say they were like a test market, but that was a league where they would try different things to see if it worked. And it seems as if that's what uh, the PW HL is not shy about doing at all. And you know my affinity for the jailbreak rule, the shorthanded goal ends the uh uh, ends the power play, uh, real momentum changer as well. You know, I love the uh, the other day the uh, the celebration at the penalty box uh, when we saw the the jailbreak goal. Um, what do you think about? Uh, well, I guess we'll focus on that. What do you think about that one, the jailbreak rule? I mean, every every game that we've watched, there's been commentary about it from the announcers, and when it happens, man, it's such a cool thing to see. Yeah, actually, it's funny you bring that up, Jeff, because when I got my penalty in Minnesota, um, the guy in the box was like, well, you got a minute and 30 left uh, or less. And I turned to him and I was like, hey, I was like, no, 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 I want to be in here for the full thing. And he's like, no, I meant like you guys could score and you could leave. So I for like, I don't think about the jailbreak right away. Yeah, I forgot. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not getting a goal scored against us like as we're killing this penalty. And he was like, no, I meant it. in the sense that you could get out of here if one of your teammates scores. And I was like, huh, okay, I'll give you the credit there. And he was like, sorry, I didn't even think about you guys getting scored on. I'm just thinking of the jailbreak part. So yeah. I like it. Um, we have only been on the bad end of it. So we had a shorthanded goal scored against us. Um, yep. But at the same time, I think like, it, it does create a little bit more urgency, I think, from a power play, too. I think you can get lackadaisical at times, and it's something that bites in the butt. Yep. I mean, you never want to give up a shorthand goal. Um, but then you saw yeah. the – I thought it was insane, the Ottawa-Toronto game when uh, Lexi Adesia scored from a yep. rimmed puck from below the goal line all the way around. Then it comes back to five-on-five, five and you're just – like, it's a crazy turn of – the tides in the sense of you were six on four you pull your goalie and you never really think about okay like like i always say i I would prefer to kill six on four than six on five personally just to be able to ice the pot not have to worry about kind of that icing part but then to see the jailbreak happen on that too it was just like oh you didn't even think about that one like that's a convenient net goal that now changes everything for toronto it, it, it's it's a fascinating rule. I'm glad you mentioned Lexi Adija as well because she's been a real revelation. Uh, she's been outstanding uh, so far this season. Uh, Aaron Ambrose, we are up against the clock. I know you have a big game uh, coming up against Ottawa tomorrow. Very much looking forward to that. Continued success uh, with Montreal. Your team looks fantastic. Thank you, sir. Enjoy your weekend. You and Henry as well. Uh, there she is, the great Aaron Ambrose, Olympic gold medalist, gold medalist at the World Championships as well, and number one defenseman for PWHL Montreal. They have a game Saturday uh, against Ottawa at La Place Belle. Okay, uh, so that's the week. Listen, thanks for, for uh, being with me this week. This was, I'm not going to lie to you, this was a hard week. Uh, this is a hard week for a lot of people um, in the industry, a hard week for a lot of people outside the industry as well. 
Um, and it's about, we're about to go into a very, very dark news cycle with this story involving the 2018 World Juniors. And much like I said at the time, and I would encourage you to do so, um, think of victims, think of your friends and family who have either been victims themselves or are no people who have been themselves. Please take care of one another. Uh, enjoy your hockey tonight. Four games on the go. A number of games tomorrow for Hockey Night in Canada as well. Uh, we'll rejoin Monday for the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360 as well. Have a great weekend.